At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign over all. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. You know, we're not going to talk about football games that happened last week. That's what we're not going to do today. Uh, so I did have to rewrite the introduction after halftime, so there's that. We're not going to, but there's a lot of other sports. That's the good news. A lot of things we could talk about. We could talk about, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I was thinking frisbee golf, water polo. I don't know. No, we can talk about boxing. Boxing, something we could talk about. And I'm not like a, I'm not like a boxing fan. It's not like a thing I've ever. Like right now, if you said, Billy, I'll give you a million dollars if you can tell me who the heavyweight champion is, I'd be like, yeah, unless I can Google it, like I'm out. Like I, I lose. I'm definitely going to lose. And some of you are like, I would take that bet because you know, but I don't know. But I can tell you, 1990. Iron Mike Tyson was the champ. That's what I can tell you. 1990. Also, here's what I don't need. I don't need you coming up following the service and telling me I wasn't even born yet. I don't need that. Like, just so you know, <laughs> it's not helpful for you to come up and tell me that you were not born in 1990 or for you to come up and say, I was only in kindergarten. Like, we just don't need that. That's not necessary. So anyway, 1990, Mike Tyson was the champ. He was like one of the most ruthless boxers the world had ever seen. Like the year before, he was in a fight where he knocked someone out in like 91 seconds. Y'all, that's not even a round. Like we're not even through round number one, and he has knocked a professional out. Not like I hit him really good. No, he knocked him out in the first round, 91 seconds in, just incredible. And so anyway, it's 1990. He signed up for this fight against, I, I don't know exactly what he was ranked, but like Buster Douglas was in the top 10. But Buster Douglas was one of those guys that people were talking and they were like, yeah, his mom just died like three months before. This guy's had the flu this week. And you know how people will talk like, you know, this week they're gonna be like, let's talk about the Super Bowl. We don't wanna hear it, right? We don't wanna hear it. We don't wanna talk about the Super Bowl because there's other sports besides football. We don't even care. It's fine. It's totally fine. <sighs> Anyway, so 1990, they were talking, and what they were saying in 1990 is they were saying Tyson may knock this guy out in even less than 90 seconds. Like, this is just going to be brutal. And so round one starts. Round one starts, Buster Douglas comes out, and he's, he's doing all right. You know, he's doing all right. It's not like the first round's not looking like, you know, but then round two, round three, round four, and... All of a sudden, it's looking like, wait, who's the champ? Because it was like Mike Tyson had taken all everything he had, and he was so arrogant. He was so prideful. He probably hadn't prepared for this fight like he should have. You know what I mean? Like, he was just coming in thinking, well, I'm Mike Tyson, so of course I'm going to win. And all of a sudden, as this fight continues, like, Buster Douglas is looking good until the eighth round. In the eighth round, 
Tyson hit, I mean, he, it's an uppercut. I watched it again uh, this morning. When Tyson hit him with the uppercut, I mean, Douglas just, you know like the Rocky movie? When the round is almost over and Rocky gets knocked down and he just lays there and he's got to like mess with his mouthpiece and he's just laying there and his eyes are going all wobbly and everything and then he stumbles to his feet and it's like you're saved by the bell. You, you know that scene, right? It's every Rocky movie. You know the scene. <laughs> that happened in real life. Like, and as a guy's counting, like this was like a big thing, you know, because as he's counting, he's counting super slow. It actually takes him like 13 seconds for this count. So Buster Douglas gets to his feet. The bell rings, saved by the bell. Tyson doesn't get to throw any more punches. Round nine goes, then comes round number 10. It's the 10th round that the unthinkable happens. Buster Douglas comes out and just annihilates him. I mean, just goes after him, hits him so hard. Tyson, like, hits the mat and then kind of slides under the rope a little bit. If you go back and watch the video, like, he kind of slides underneath. Like, he, he, it's over. It's, it's done. Fight over. The champ has been defeated. We have a new world champion. Now, you would think... I'm now the champion. You think, I'm going to learn from the mistakes of those before me. I'm going to learn from what they did. I'm not going to repeat those mistakes. I'm not going to let pride, I'm not going to let arrogance set in. I'm going to do this differently. Nah, that's not what happened. Buster Douglas shows up to his next fight. He's so out of shape. He's like 15 pounds heavier than when he fought Tyson. I don't know if this is true or not, but there were rumors that he actually drove through McDonald's. Come on now, on the day of the fight, I don't know. I don't know if this is true, but that's part of what's floating around out there. He actually drove through, got him some McDonald's on fight day. So his whole reign as world champion lasted less than three rounds. Less than three rounds. He had already been defeated. There was another new world champion. Here's the point. The prideful champ was defeated, and instead of, Instead of learning from Tyson's mistakes, he repeated the same prideful posture. Let's take our Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter 5. We're continuing our sermon series where today we're going to look at the importance of learning from past mistakes so that we don't repeat them in our lives. Let me say that again. We want to learn from past mistakes so that we don't repeat them in our lives. Just to catch you up to speed, God was so gracious. He was so patient with King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king, and God raised him up, and he went and he defeated the Assyrian Empire. He went he defeated the Egyptians. He went he defeated Judah. He leveled the wall around Jerusalem, defeated the city, destroyed the temple. And everywhere he would go, what he would do is he would take the best and the brightest back to Babylon. And they would have to learn the literature, the language, the customs, the sciences of the Babylonian people. In other words, learn how to think and respond to the world like a Babylonian. Thing is, as we talked about last week, man, he was so puffed up by that, wasn't he? Walking around on top of the palace going, look what I have done. I'm amazing. Look at me. Look at all my victories. And Daniel warned him, didn't he? Daniel came along and warned him, King, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. You shouldn't be prideful and arrogant like this. In fact, what you should do is humble yourself before God. It's not too late. You have a chance. And the king didn't back down. And before you know it, he's eating grass like the ox. He had been so humbled by the Lord until finally he lifted up his eyes. He looked to the Lord and he worshiped him. Well, what we're going to see in chapter 5 is a sudden shift. It's a sudden shift that takes a few decades. Let me say that again. That means we're like 20-some years later 
in chapter 5 from what we talked about last week. So King Nebuchadnezzar has died at this point. After he died for six years, there was a battle to see who would be able to take over the throne. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who won that battle. So Nebuchadnezzar is now king, you would think, but Nebuchadnezzar really didn't want to hang out in Babylon. He wanted to hang out in Persia. And so as he kind of moves on down the road, he looks at his son, who's Belshazzar, and he looks at Belshazzar and he says, you're now going to be the king. You're going to be the one who's going to rule over Babylon. Sometimes when we're on top, it's tough to give others credit, isn't it? You ever seen people like that? Maybe it's back in the day when you played some sports. Maybe it's your current business. Maybe it's your family. But there's people that when they're on top, they really struggle to give anyone else credit. That's what we saw in Nebuchadnezzar. That's what we see in Belshazzar. We're seeing this posture that says it's very hard to give anyone else credit. And that brings us to our big idea that God is sovereign over ungodly kings and kingdoms. Let me say that again. God is sovereign even over ungodly kings and kingdoms. So what we can do is we can receive God's reign or we can reject it. We all have that same choice in here. Every last one of us, we can receive God's reign or we can reject it. So what happens when we reject it? What happens when we reject the reign of God in our lives? That's what we're looking at. That is the singular question that we're going to be looking at in today's passage. What happens when you reject God's reign in your life? First thing that you're going to see is we blaspheme the most high God. Look at verse number one. Uh, there's a, church, there's a lot of scripture we're going to cover today, so have your Bibles ready. Chapter five, we're going to be working through a lot. We're going to do verses one through 12 to start. Chapter five starts with this. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. 
because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. A real fast point that's important here. You see that it keeps saying that King Nebuchadnezzar is his father. That'd be no different than uh, an Israelite saying we have Abraham as our father, right? So Abraham would have been the patriarch where all the line would come from Abraham. This is working the exact same way. So Belshazzar is saying, and his wife has said, and Daniel will say that Nebuchadnezzar is your father, saying you're from the line of, even though he's a grandfather, you're from the line of this king. You fall in that same line. So scripture in history, teach the exact same thing here. We had the Babylonian Empire, one of the greatest empires the world has ever seen. History and scripture are both saying the same thing. And what it says is that the Babylonian Empire fell in one night. Can, can you fathom that? Wars take years to fight. Years and years and years, it'll take wars to be fought. And yet right here, we see the entire Babylonian empire will fall in one night, this night. This is the night that we're gonna see the Babylonian empire fall. And so here's what's happened. The Medes and the Persians have unified. They said, you know what? Babylon's just going around and they'll go defeat the Assyrians. They'll go defeat the Egyptians. They'll go defeat Judah. They just fight whoever they want, take whatever they want. We gotta put a stop to them. So we're gonna come together. We're gonna unify to fight against the Babylonian Empire. And so they gather together and they go to fight. But what is King Belshazzar's posture? His posture is going on with your bad self. Ooh, you guys get together. Right outside the walls. Right outside the walls. You camp out as long as you want to camp out. He's not scared. Do you remember last week we talked about the bricks? The bricks that King Nebuchadnezzar and he put his stamp on every single brick. Do you remember that? 45 miles worth of wall is what those bricks built. 45 miles worth of wall going around the entire city. It was 85 feet thick. Picture that. 85 feet thick, 335 feet high. Do you see how imposing this? Oh, that's not enough though, is it? That's not enough. So then what they did is they diverted the Euphrates River. They diverted it to make it kind of like a moat around the entire wall. So now you have the Euphrates River going around the entire city, and that wasn't enough. So then the king said, let's also do this. Let's go underneath the wall. We're gonna have the river go underneath the wall through some tunnels and then go right through the middle of the city. That way we always have fresh water. And so the king's going, we have fresh water. We have provisions, 85 foot thick, 335 feet high wall. What are you gonna do? We're gonna have a party. So he invites a 1,000 of his closest friends together, and they are drinking wine. They're having this big party, this festival. These two huge armies are camped outside the wall. He's busy having a party. And that wasn't enough. As he's having a party, he commands this. He says, I, I command that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, and the king and his lords, his wives, and the concubines might drink from them. You see, as they're drinking, they start to worship the Babylonian gods, these pagan gods. But that wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough to be able to drink and to party and have his festival and his food and his... It wasn't enough. His worship to his pagan god, it wasn't enough. They took the vessels that were removed from the temple of God in Jerusalem. 
They took those vessels and they said, now we're going to fill those vessels with our wine that we are worshiping the gods with. And we're going to use these very vessels of the one true God, and we're going to use them in the worship to our pagan gods. He's, he's committing blasphemy against God in this moment. This is where he's questioning God's character, his name, and his strength. And as he's living this out, in the midst of his pride, in the midst of his arrogance, a hand appears and starts to ride on the wall. And when that happens, he is shaken. Verse number six says, his color changed, his thoughts alarm him, his limbs give way and his knees knock together. And so then starts a scene that we've seen a few times now in this series. He calls an all stop and is like, bring in the enchanters, bring in the Chaldeans, bring in, bring in the people who can interpret my dreams. And they come in and they're looking and hearing about this hand and they're like, we've got nothing. We can't interpret this for you. We don't know what to do. And the queen is like, no, I got this. I know about this guy, this guy named Daniel. He's shown up before on occasions just like this. King, call in Daniel. Now, church, people are messy, aren't they? People are real messy. You see, you got people in your life right now that when you talk to them, and you talk to them about your faith in God, they respond with, yeah, I don't, I don't really believe in God. And that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes I think we're not sure exactly how to answer that. We're not sure exactly how to answer, I don't believe in God. But that's not the truly messy one. You know, the truly messy one is when that person has encountered trial in their life. They've gone through some challenges. And it's not them saying that they don't believe in God. They're saying they do believe in God. They're just so mad at him. They're so angry at him. And so then they will blaspheme. They will say things like, he is a powerless God. He is unloving as a God. He's a vindictive God. And they'll start to say things like this. I think those are the moments that we get most uncomfortable. Because you know when you read the word of God and you know the attributes of God, you're going, what you're saying is the direct opposite of who God is. But we don't even know how to answer that, do we? That's one that I think makes us most uncomfortable. And it's easy. Here's the thing, church. It's easy to look outside the walls of the church sometimes and identify those people, isn't it? How about when you look in the mirror? It's a little bit harder to identify the blasphemy in our own hearts, isn't it? That's so much harder. Let me ask it this way. You ever have those times that you know you should praise? And yet it's almost like it, it, the words can't come out of your mouth. Do you, do you ever have that? Do you ever have those moments where you're going, Lord, this isn't working the way I wanted it to work, and I almost can't breathe right now? I just... I. I, I know in my head that you're worthy. I just got nothing for you right now. I, Lord, I got nothing for you right now. And it's not because you're trying through the power of the Spirit to work through it. It's like, I don't care right now, Lord. Oh, you ever, you ever been there? Are you human? I mean, have you been there? Come on. Or how about that other place? How about when that thing doesn't work like you wanted it to work? And you know, again, you know you're supposed to have faith. You know you're supposed to believe in the providence of the Lord, and, and yet what do we do? Lord, I'm so mad right now. I'm so mad. Because either you don't love me like I thought you loved me, you couldn't do something, so you're not as strong as I thought you were. Lord, I don't know right now what I'm supposed to do. And man, I know, I know we struggle ever saying that with our mouth, but I think sometimes our hearts go there. 
sometimes our hearts go there. So I, my encouragement to you is, is to pause right now and to remember communion. That's why we're so regular with our practice of communion. We need reminded of the freedom that we have in Christ, don't we? We need reminded of the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. As Pastor Abe talked about the three nails that hung Jesus to the cross, but yet he's not there anymore, is he? There's an empty tomb. We have freedom through Christ Jesus. What happens when we reject God? When we reject God, there's going to be blasphemy against the Lord. We're also going to see a repeat of past sins. Look at verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13 says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard of you, which is interesting. I've heard of you. You know, before, Daniel would have to show up and it's like, who are you? Oh, you're, you're one of those four, right? The four who aren't eating what they're supposed to and you're going to do things your own way and you won't worship the gods and you're that. No, this is different. This is, I've, I've heard of you, right? Your, your name and what you've done in the name of your Lord has reached my ears. That the spirit of the gods, this also is interesting because it's lowercase g, isn't it? So this isn't talking about the Lord. This is talking about the pagan God. So he doesn't quite get it, that the spirit of the gods is in you. And the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read the writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. Again, it's almost like Daniel's been in this spot before. Like he's kind of been here, right? But, verse 16... I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Have you ever, <clears throat> you ever been around people who don't really know you and they don't, they don't quite get you? Or maybe they do know you, but they just don't get you. And so, like, it happens a lot at Christmas time. Sometimes it's an avocado thing, right? Sometimes that happens. Like, you get the gift, and, and as you get the gift, you're just like, cool. I mean, I guess you probably would like this. You should have bought it for yourself. That would have been great. But you got it for me, and this isn't really for me. That's kind of what Daniel says right here. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your reward to another. Nevertheless... I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Talk about bold. Are you kidding me? I mean, he could have taken the gold and just given it to a friend, right? Like, that was a possibility, but that's not what he does. He's like, you know what? You care about your gold. You care about your clothing. You care about your expensive gift. Keep all that. I don't care. I don't need that. That's, I'll still help you. I'm here, I'm gonna help interpret what's going on, but I don't need all of that. That's not what's motivating me here. Then he says in verse 18, O king, the most high God, he wants him to be so clear on this, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Who he would, he killed. 
And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. Daniel says, I was an eyewitness to the power of the king. Like, I was right there. I saw just like that he could command someone's life was taken from them or this person could live. or like Anything he said is exactly what happened. He had power. He had authority. And he says, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. The Lord dealt with the proud king. The Lord dealt with him and brought humility. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you praise the gods of silver and of gold and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God and in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Belshazzar, your sins are no different than your grandfather's. You are just repeating the exact same mistakes. You're driving through McDonald's on fight day. Like, what are you thinking? Like, what what are you doing here? We talked last week about how King Nebuchadnezzar had been humbled until he lifted his eyes to the Lord. So Daniel warns him. Daniel warns him that's why all this is happening, that God sent the hand that wrote the inscription Last week when we talked about Daniel, do you remember how the king went to Daniel? And it was the whole stump scene, and Daniel kind of just froze there when the king said, here's what's going on, and Daniel didn't want to answer. Almost like, I, I'm scared to tell you your kingdom is about to be taken from you, your mind is about to be taken from you, your everything is about to be taken. Remember that? And the king is like, no, say what you need to say. Remember that? Daniel's changed right here, hasn't he? You notice The king doesn't have to say, don't be scared, Daniel, because Daniel's pretty bold in what he's saying, isn't he? Like, he is telling him the truth. He's not backing down from truth. You're repeating the same thing that this family member repeated. You're doing the same thing. Hey, I'm wondering, if if we were just hanging out talking, you and me, and I, I said to you, man, you are so much like your dad, Or if I said, you are so much like your mom, is that a compliment or is that a cut down for you? Just think about that. Notice I said, if I said it, not your spouse when you're in the middle of a fight, that's a different conversation. (laughs) That's different. That's against the rules, right? But I'm talking about a neutral party. If a neutral party says it, if a neutral party says, you you are so much like your dad, you're so much like your mom, I want you to think about that. Because you know what I think happens? And there's good, right? There were some great things probably that you received from your mom or dad. But I think so oftentimes what's easiest for us to do is to use what we experience as kids as an excuse today. It's an excuse for apathy. It's an excuse for complacency. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm so wrong. But I think that's what we do. And all of a sudden we end up repeating the same sins. You ever done that? 
You know, because you had a front row seat to your mom or to your dad. You saw how they handled things when they got stressed. How they handled things when there was grief. How they handled things when they didn't have the answers. And the warning that we see in Scripture again and again and again is don't repeat the sins of the past. And yet, just like that, we start to do it. Friends, today is a gift. Today is such a gift from the Lord. This could be a catalyst in your faith journey that says, I don't have to repeat that stuff. Because of Jesus, I'm free. Because of Jesus, I get to live in the freedom of Christ. My mind has been renewed. I can have the mind of of Christ I'm indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. Are you kidding me? I am not destined to repeat those same patterns. It has not been predetermined that I have to keep doing those same things. That's what Belshazzar's doing, and that's the warning he's getting from Daniel. Final thing that we see when we reject God's grace as we experience God's judgment. Look at verse 24. It says, Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Meany, Meany, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Meany, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And so Daniel says, so the hand wrote on the wall, and here's what it said. It said, meanie, meanie, tekel, and parson. Then he said, and here's what it means. Meanie, it means to count or to number. Notice he says it twice. He's being emphatic here. He's like, King, your days are numbered. Did you hear me? King, your days are numbered. You don't get infinite days. You think because you're the king, you get to be prideful, arrogant, and boastful and do whatever you want because you get to say with everything. But king, it's not that way. Your days are numbered. And then he said the word tekel. You've been weighed. You've been measured and you've been found wanting. Here is the measure of where we would want you to be. That's not who you're being. You've been measured. You fall way short. That's why your kingdom is going to be taken from you. Then Parson, your your kingdom's literally going to be divided into two. You had the Medes and you had the Persians. Your kingdom literally is going to be ripped from you. And we know that Cyrus, the great's leadership, is going to be what's going to bring them back together. And so here's what happened. The kingdom was overthrown that night. What happens is as the king is throwing this party, as he's so full of pride, as he's so full of arrogance, as all his lords and wives and concubines are drinking and he takes the very vessels of the Lord and starts to use those in this idol worship, the armies dammed up that river. Remember I said the Euphrates was going all the way around the city and it was going underneath the city? They dammed it up. I can't imagine how terrifying this would be. But those two armies then marched through those tunnels under the wall, came out in the midst of the city, completely defeated the city, and killed Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, that night. 
in one night, an entire empire was overthrown. Isn't that incredible? Here's the thing with the king. If I go back to the king, there's a difference between God's grace and God's approval. There's a huge difference between God's grace and God's approval. The king didn't understand that. He almost thought because the king is here and the king speaks, thus it is. And the Lord, because he hasn't done anything with me, clearly he approves. Now, that's called grace. Again, that's what communion reminds us of. It reminds us of God's grace on our lives, that Christ came and he lived. He offered his body as a sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. And then he poured out his blood for all mankind, the spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Nothing you've earned. Nothing that you've deserved. It was grace. Grace that was freely given by Jesus on the cross. So where are you with all this? Because again, I think it's easy to look at Belshazzar, to look at Nebuchadnezzar, and to say, man, those kings were prideful. They were, they were so arrogant. Does that ever happen to you? Does it ever happen that life becomes about me, what I want, what I think, what I deserve? And so my singular question is, what's your life about? What is it that's driving you in your life? For some of you, it's your business. It's the achievements. It's the house. It's the retirement. It's the Instagram photo of the family. What is it that's driving you? For some of you, it's hitting one more benchmark. What what is it that's driving you? Because the way of the Lord would say it's to know him and to make him known. It's real easy to figure out. When you ask, what is life about? How do you answer? Is it about you or is it about the Lord? Because again, today is the day of grace. Today is an opportunity to continue to bring our lives into alignment with his. To know him, to make him known. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the great things that you have done. Lord, we look at this story of the writing on the wall, and um, it's tough to take in. Because on one hand, I think we look and we say, well, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not like that person. I'm so thankful I'm not that blind. We look at Mike Tyson's story. We look at Buster Douglas' story. Man, I'm thankful that that's not what I'm doing. Lord, sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror and to see, yeah, I've used mom or dad as an excuse. I've used selfishness as an excuse for apathy, for passivity, for the opposite of the mission that you've called us to. So Lord, I pray that as brothers and sisters, we are renewed today, that we are strengthened today that we are empowered by the call that you have on our lives. So Lord, as we prepare to go from this place, I pray that we go with renewed passion towards the mission. Help us to see people the way that you do. Help us to be quick to forgive, quick to love, quick to share the good news. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.